only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. There's a little handout. The handout, actually, I will refer to it later on, but... It's really not an outline of what we're doing. It's, it's more of your take-home assignment uh, as husbands. So we'll talk a little bit about that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, on page 1015. After the section 1 through 6 on wives, he now addresses husbands. Likewise, and that means in continuing in the same area of discussion of relationships. He talked about the relationship of slaves to their masters and wives to husbands and now husbands to wives. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let us pray. O Lord, as we come to your word, we pray, show us the Lord Jesus. Reveal, Lord, the glory of your truth and your salvation to us. Uh, even in this uh, very critical area, this closely relational area, Lord, may we taste and know your salvation. Uh, you're the only one who delivers. You're the only one who justifies. You're the only one who makes us holy. You're the only one, Lord, who makes us like yourself. And may we see something of your glory. And, Lord, may we uh, walk in your ways. For Jesus' sake, amen. This... Uh, in a way, this statement, live with your wives in an understanding way, literally to know your wives, is, is kind of comical when you think about how bad we are at this uh, as men. Uh, I think of the little story of the guy and his wife who are in the counselor's office, and he just, she just read off a litany of his... Ignoring her, his harsh words, his being disconnected, uh, just one thing after another went on for, you know, 30 minutes. And so then the counselor gets up, walks around his desk, asks the, the woman to stand. Uh, she stands up and uh, he proceeds to embrace her and give her a long kiss. The uh, husband kind of lifts his eyebrow up as he does this. And he goes back around the desk and he says, Now, do you think you could do that three times a week? 
And he said, I can get her here on Monday and Wednesday, but I've got a golf game on Friday. (laughs) That's just about how disconnected we are sometimes. Just about how disconnected we are. And so, in a way, I think there, this, this is the best command possible. The best command possible. Know, understand your wives. He couldn't get to uh, an area of our lives that would get to us more. Uh, just a word first about authority because the wives had been uh, told in chapter 3, verse 1, to be subject to their husbands in many ways throughout that passage. Uh, we have got to understand that, of course, the authority that we have is all borrowed from God. Uh, Hebrews 13.1, there is no authority except from God. And our wife may, any wife could say to her husband uh, what Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. And so we must realize that in myself, I am nothing. I have nothing. My strength, my mind, my abilities, my whole life is borrowed from God. Who do I think I am? All the more reason that I must not abuse this authority and use it for my selfish ends. Rather, to use this authority to bestow honor upon my wife. To love her and serve her with this authority, else we're unworthy of it. So it is a strength to be spent for her. And an authority which at its best will not be touchy, uh, moody, whiny, self-pitying, self-justifying, belligerent, insensitive, sullen, unresponsive. This authority will not have to win arguments. It will not have to be right. It's the authority of the gracious Lord Jesus Christ that is to be conveyed to my wife. She is to taste something of the sweet authority of Christ in the way I wield that authority that he has given to me. Now, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way to Know her, uh, live with t- with her with knowledge. Knowledge could refer to anything that would uh, be beneficial for their relationship. Knowledge of God's creation in marriage, uh, knowledge of of God's redemption and salvation. But particularly, the weight falls on the personal no- personal knowledge that we must have uh, of our own wives. Uh, it's almost a proverb: "You'll never understand a woman." You know, <laughs> just a joke, practically. You'll never understand a woman. Don't even try, you know. But there is a woman that you must understand, that you're commanded to understand, and that is your wife. You've got to figure her out. That's not an option, not to know your your wife. You're called on to know who she is, what she is, to discover and explore and examine and, and master the landscape of her life. You're a cartographer of her soul, mapping out every feature so that you can cherish and nourish her to the very best of your ability in all that you discover. And of course, it is a lifelong project, as I had to confess to my own wife driving over here. (laughs) I'm a work in process, even though I just had my 60th birthday. 
And so we may not live in ignorance of our wives' problems and desires and needs and tastes and longings and dreams and fears and frustrations and hurts. We must not, we cannot live in ignorance of these things. So we are told to live in an understanding way, to know our wives. And then this next phrase, to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, the word vessel is a reminder that we and our wives are made by and owned by God, that we're under his authority, uh, that we are dependent upon him, that we are responsible to him. And so the, the, very, the very language shows that we are under his uh, great, glorious authority as God. And it's interesting also, this is a rather rare word when it says to honor the woman. It really means the feminine one. The honor the feminine one. And, and so her femininity or her, female, her femaleness, femaleness is actually that which we should honor. Because she is female. She's this... Exquisite thing called woman, you know, female. And for that reason, she is to be honored. Now, the weakness is not specified, but any kind of weakness of which the husband might take advantage would be included. Uh, we know for sure there's the physical strength, not in length of years, that's certainly not the case, uh, not in uh, enduring pain. Uh, we're wimps in that regard. Um, but just pure brute strength, 50% stronger, they say. Maybe some of us aren't quite that way, but that's generally true. Also, they don't have as much endurance, 20% fewer red blood cells. They did a test in World War II. Uh, men and women working side by side, they moved the work hours from 10 hours to 12 hours. And 150% more injuries among the women. None among the men. Didn't matter to them. But it pushed the women to their limit. And so we must live with her realizing that she has limitations physically in that regard that we don't. So when she tires before you do, when she needs more rest and sleep than you do, well, certainly don't make fun of her. Don't criticize her or ridicule her, right? Don't despise her for it. Don't brag about what you can do. Don't use your strength as a weapon against her or over her. Don't be suspicious of her or accuse her of laziness. She has a limitation that you don't. Honor her as the weaker vessel. Rather, be asking, is my wife getting the rest she needs? The question is, are, am I protecting her? Am I sensitive to the limits of her strength and endurance? Am I aware of the physical stress that she can be under with her work or the children or both? Do I guard her from being worn out and run in the ground? Am I protecting her from exhaustion and then the frayed nerves and the depression and attachment or sickness that, that result from this exhaustion? Am I helping to think ahead for what she's going to be going through this week or this weekend? Do I, do I have that on my radar screen to think about what this is going to mean for her and what kind of pressure she is in, enduring as they're coming down the pipe? Do I help plan then and help her take care of herself? Do I help her say no to some things that she needs to? I love the old writer, the way he puts it, uh, Leighton, have a wise, kind consideration for their peculiar privations and sufferings 
their wearisome days. Beautifully put. And also to know what refreshes her most. What kind of breaks does she need from the kids? Make her concerns for order and cleanness in the house, which gives her such refreshment uh, to take precedence over TV. How about it, right? And that not begrudgingly, but even happily. Know what refreshes her and renews her and help facilitate exercise for her. Encourage her in it. Join her in it if that will help. Help her find a class or a partner in it. Keep an eye out for her. See how she is doing. Be connected to her in this way. When you come home, have a promote my wife's well-being at the top of the list. That would be a great every day. Do list. Do list. Promote my wife's well-being. <laughs> Number one, all the time, every time. And thinking again about this feminine one that we're to honor, you handle her with the greatest care, like an expensive uh, microscope or telescope, you know. The fineness and the precision and then the, the excellence of it makes it so precious. It's like uh, she's not, she's breakable in that way. Not because she's flimsy or trivial, it's because she's so exquisite. She's the feminine. The feminine. <laughs> You've picked up an expensive breakable, hadn't you, somewhere, and you kind of, you're looking around, you're looking at the bottom. $1,500. <laughs> Trying to get it down before you do anything to it, you know, and have to pay for it. That's what she is. This precious, exquisite uh, piece of beautiful porcelain and to be handled with the greatest care. And of course, this, not only the physical, but there's the emotional side, the sensitivity, obviously, of a woman. So sensitive to our expression, so sensitive to the tone of our voice, the very look of our eye. I didn't mean anything by that. How many times? How many times? Has that gone on in your home? I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. She's so likely to be hurt by conflict or inconsiderate behavior. And so we must be especially aware of injuring our wives. And it's not wrong. It is the way she is made. It's part of her exquisite nature. Now, I'll give an example. First, a, a, first a, a funny one, perhaps. But it does show the difference in men and women. Uh, some of you may know Claude McRoberts, a pastor in Montgomery. We've been friends since uh, he was in high school. But he told me when he was at Ole Miss, when you were all sitting around, when they were all sitting around, you had to always guard yourself not to be open for this move that someone would make. For instance, if you're all talking about where you're going to eat, and this is said and that said, and somebody says, I think we ought to go to McDonald's. I think you ought to shut up. Just the funny thing, right? You know, that you don't ever open yourself up to saying, I think we ought to, because then they can say, I think you ought to shut up. You know? Girls don't think that's funny. <laughs> they don't think that's funny at all. They get hurt by that. They say, what do you mean by that? You know, and guys are just, you know, we're dogs. We're <laughs> just, we're just ridiculous, you know. Uh, but more in a more serious vein, studies have shown that the stress level of women after a heated argument, a, a 
a terrible altercation. Their stress level shoots over like two to three days before it wears off. A guy's is like an hour or two. He's oblivious, you know. He's just moving on to the next thing. She's nursing this pain and sometimes bitterness and hurt for days. And he is so over it, he didn't even know what happened. He didn't even see what happened. And so we must be constantly engaged in affirming kind words to our wives in private and in public. Sometimes it's shocking to hear what someone will say right in front of his wife, what someone will say when his wife is not there. And so Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome, and, and think of this in terms of your wife, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building her up. Even Dr. Phil, I heard say one day, that he's always about edifying his wife. He said, that's always, every day, that's what I'm trying to do is encourage her, encourage her, encourage her. Only such a word as is good for edification so that it may give grace according to the need. And grace here, I take to be, convey the very grace of God to our wives. Wouldn't that be amazing that daily she senses and tastes something of the, the grace of God by the very words that you speak? And, and she can wake up the next day and think, I'm probably going to get some more grace from my husband today and the next day and the next day because he's pouring out grace into my life because of his kind words. And of course, to hold back any unwholesome words, literally, as you know, rotten, dung-type words, um, you know, cutting words, snide words, sarcastic words, demeaning words, disgusted words, or you're disgusted, right? Pompous, harsh words. Isn't it interesting, Colossians 3.19, you know, Ephesians 5, obviously the whole excellent, glorious section about loving your wives as Christ loved the church. Colossians 1.13, husbands, love your wives. Let me tell you one thing, one thing, don't be harsh with them. Very interesting, huh? One thing. <laughs> you think about this one. You love her and don't be harsh with her. So there you go. Loud words, bullying words. And then there's the lack of good words, right? I already mentioned this at the end of that verse. But I'd like you to pull out the uh, handout here just briefly. Uh now, you can really get into uh, some thick ones on pages two and three where I've got a little section on anger, okay? The, the, the tongue in anger. And at the top of the page, you'll see on page two, Colossians 3.19, do not be harsh with them, okay? So it'd be a great thing to meditate on, to think through, to ask yourself. And then the, the last little section, the Lord himself is slow to anger. So we're, we're simply wanting to live out the very grace of God, the very character of God. But on the first page... Um, notice 
the, the difference, the contrast, about halfway down, the, little, the great contrast in what you can do against or for your wife. Proverbs twelve eighteen. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Just look at the difference. Are, are my words a thrust of the sword into her soul, into her heart, or do my words bring healing to her? A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Am I breaking her spirit or am I a tree of life to her? A fountain of life, Proverbs 10, 11. And then down below, how good are good words, right? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Am I making her glad when anxiety weighs her down? To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. A word in season, how good it is. I love the enthusiasm of that. A word said in the right time, in the right, how good is that? Get the feel. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. Oh, Lord God, make my words that to my wife. Well, he goes on. And so, our very words, kind, affirming words to support her in her daily life. And she needs our communication. She needs our initiation in good ways into her life. I love this uh, cartoon years ago that was uh, Kathy. It it may still be a, a comic strip. I don't get the comics anymore, but which is a terrible thing for me. But, um, but in this particular strip, Kathy comes up to, I think, I forget, Earl, maybe it was his name, his boyfriend at the time. She says, Earl, I want us to have a conversation. Earl says, sure, I'll have a conversation with you. What do you want to talk about? No, no, no. I want you to initiate the conversation. Gets a little worried look on his face. He said, well, sure, I'll initiate the conversation. Be glad to, but I mean, what do you want to talk? No, no, no. I want you to think of something. I want it to come from your heart. I want you to start the conversation. And so he fumbles and fumbles and fumbles for two or three more, you know, uh, frames. And then finally she just screams, you're never going to get it, are you? And walks off. And then I love his final statement. Did that count as a conversation? <laughs> So, know your wife, love her, uh, care for her as, uh, f- with, with that knowledge in that way. Well, this, this comes very difficult for us. And so, ask yourself this question, are you opening your life to her? Are you sharing your heart with her? Are you sharing your struggles? Are you sharing a sense of your own weakness and your own failures with her? Are you making it okay for her to be a failure? Are you being open about these things? Are you sharing what's going on in your life? And then along these lines of you initiating into her her life, uh, how are you affirming her? And here's some words to think about. Noticing her, attending her, enjoying her. Uh, Just take one area. How much are you discovering and actively enjoying uh, your wife in terms of just her physical beauty? Okay, that edge gets off really badly for us. Um, are you enjoying her eyes, her hair, her the line of her 
cheek, her skin, her lips, her neck. Are you talking about these things to her? Just noticing something different every day or constantly like observing and just enjoying and drinking in her beauty, exploring her. Are you actively delighting in her? Are you getting lost in her? Are you staring at her in a good way? Are you really saying in your heart, wow, and it really comes out (laughs) in words at times. How many times do you tell her that she looks good, that you like the way that dress fits her, you like what she did with her hair, you like the way the blouse goes with her eyes, or a hundred other things? Are these kinds of ways of noticing her there? And you see, there's really no way that you'll, and you and I will have a grateful delight in God for the particular beauty of our wives unless we're actively enjoying her beauty and expressing it to her. And, of course, no woman has perfect beauty, whatever that is. Uh, Every woman has stronger things and weaker things. And if, in God's providence, you are married to a different woman, then you'll appreciate different things about her, right? But every woman is beautiful. And you're to discover your wife. Notice your wife. Enjoy your wife. Drink her in. You are the only shot at her being deeply appreciated day after day by a man. You're her only shot. Her only hope for that. It's kind of... Many are not. And it has nothing to do with how pretty that woman is. Nothing at all. It has to do with the appreciation, the joy that he takes in her. And little things can make a huge difference. And, And guys... Believe me, every one of these things I'm having to grow and, and, and change and, and I do better sometimes than other times. But notice her when she comes into a room, when she walks by her. Uh, maybe even say something sometime like, there's a good looking woman, you know, whatever. Be creative, you know. Uh, if you go out together and she's dressed up, do you ever at least, you know, playful like when she walks in, Elizabeth, it's the big one. You know, you're so good looking. How am I going to concentrate to eat when I'm looking at you tonight? You know, are there, is there romance? Is there beauty? Is there uh, an appreciation for what she is? Do you find her when you get home? Do you seek the happiness of love when you see her? And remember that phrase, seek the happiness of love. Love at its best is cheerful and joyful. At its very best. And that's what we want to cultivate. How enthusiastic are you? Do you hold her close, not in an I'm after sex way, and tell her how good it is to see her, how happy you are to have her as your wife, how cute she looks in her jeans, how wonderful it is to see her with your daughter, son in her arms or on her shoulder? She is beautiful. How much are we impoverishing our own lives as well as our wives by not enjoying them? Then, of course, asking her about her day, asking about the children, and then seeking to enjoy it. You know, <laughs> that's part of the issue. To hear about the children that God has given you is meant to be a refreshing thing, an enlivening thing for you and for her. To hear about her life and her feelings and her struggles and her fears. 
and her reactions and her thoughts, they will enrich your life as you give yourself to her and make yourself an instrument in Christ's hand to encourage her and build her up. It will change you. It's not like only that I'm ministering to her, but you need this yourself. You need to be liberated to love her and receive her. It will enrich you. So seek to have the happiness of love when you see her. And of course, is there appreciation for everything she does around the house? The cleaning, organizing, decorating, uh, the the clothes, the shopping, the cooking, taking care of the children, the finance, whatever it is, is there a constant flow of appreciation? Are you enjoying her particular personality, her particular abilities? Maybe it's a sense of humor, the kind regard she has for people, or mental toughness. But do you point them out and say, I love the way you I love the way you say so. It's a matter of noticing her. It's a matter of appreciation, joyful entering into her life. There's so much to admire in any one of our wives. There are things to criticize as well, of course. But which one does she get from you? Does she get more mockery than compliment, more uh, snide remarks than appreciation, more sullenness than interest? Will your wife be one of the blessed women who has an admirer in her husband? Oh, that she would be one of those blessed women. Well, what about the less attractive things, right? What fears, though, maybe are behind those things? What insecurities, what coping mechanisms, what survival mode may be kicking in? Are you seeking to understand, am I seeking to understand what pain could be generating some of the less than attractive aspects in her life? And am I seeking to show kindness and generosity in the face of those things? Realizing that her particular set of weaknesses are part of my calling from God. My calling from God. It becomes a map of the way I need to strengthen her and help her to believe the promise of God and the accomplishment of Christ on her behalf. But it also becomes a map for my own recovery of myself and from myself in a sense. My own spiritual treatment to liberate me for love. And of course, with her weaknesses, we don't, must not... uh, Ridicule her. Use those weaknesses. Bring them up as hammers at the right time. And we must have the kind of forbearance and patience with her weaknesses, realizing our own weaknesses before God that we don't have contempt for her weaknesses. And then just a word about our weaknesses, the male pride, right? Got to be the stronger one, got to be the smarter one. Uh, So offended if we think that she doesn't know something that, uh, or thinks that I didn't know something. Uh, Kay and I were uh, driving through the campus of TCU. One night it was raining, and we were coming to the intersection right as you get through the campus at University in Barrie. So I'm talking a lot, probably way too much, uh, talking, and I see a green light, and so I just keep going, keep going. 
Well, there was a green light. It was the turning of the lanes. Okay, so they were turning in front of me. My light was red, but I saw the green light that, you know, for the turning. Well, Kay very wisely said, red light, red light, red light. And we stopped suddenly just before the intersection. And I turned and I said, honey, thank you so much for telling me that the light was red. Because if you hadn't done that, I could have run through this. I could have run into those people. I could have killed somebody. I'm so grateful that you told me to stop. Thank you. Oh, it was so stupid that I did that. I'm so sorry. No, I didn't say that. No. <laughs> That's what I should have said. That's what I should have said. But get this. She says, red light, red light, red light. As I'm stopping, I say, I know, I know. This is the way I do it, girl. On a rainy night, I like to come up to the intersection, not in a furtive way, not in a, t- a temp, uh, uh, you know, a, a uh, timid way. I love to come up and say, I'm here. What do you think about it? Yeah. And so in one fell swoop, and that is a proper use of that word, fell swoop, I accomplished these things. I first proved that I was stupid for not stopping for the red light. And then I show that I'm weak and so insecure I can't admit it. And then I show that I, I must think that I'm a moron to think that I fooled her, you know. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I, I didn't know that you knew that already, you know. Why do we do that, you know. It's amazing. It really is amazing how much remaining brokenness is in the male heart. That for all of our strength and all of our toughness and and all of our pushing our weight around, uh, that we can't even admit something like that. Now, thankfully, uh, this is not the first night I've apologized for it. (laughs) What if that was it? Honey, you know, after two or three years, it's time I apologize for this, but... Um, but it is one of, the, one of the most important things for our wives. One of the most important things is the cultivation of humility. And in humility, there's true strength, isn't there? I think a woman admires you guarding yourself, admires you defending yourself, admires your excuses, admires... No. And so to admit when we're wrong, to ask forgiveness, she needs the security of knowing that you listen, that you will acknowledge when you've hurt her, that you take it seriously, and that you will do something about it. She needs the security to know we can work through things because he will listen. Maybe hard at first, but he will listen. He will bow down to God because he wants to love me. And we, of course, need to understand the ways we hurt our wives. We need to ask them the ways, because for many of us, for me included, we don't even realize the ways that we hurt our wives. And as Psalm 139 says, uh, that we're to, to search me, Lord, and know me, see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
And just to touch on those uh, last phrase there, that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life, a daughter of the Lord God Almighty, an heir of the undeserved favor of life, the joy and blessing of life in fellowship with God. And so to give her the honor of being one of God's precious and holy people. And then this last word that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is a way to say, because without prayer, there, there is no spiritual growth. There is no fellowship with God. It's like putting a wire at our neck, you know, to catch us and say, no further, bub, no further. You, you don't love your wife. You don't live with her in an understanding way. Basically, forget fellowship with me. Now, the same thing as in Matthew 5, you know, leave the, leave the sacrifice on the altar. Same thing as 1 Corinthians, where because of the way they dealt with one another, uh, no longer was communion a happy event. And so for us, we must see that's how seriously God takes this, uh, that he will stop us. He will catch us right where it hurts and, say, and, and make us be consistent, make us realize that if your love of me means anything, it's going to mean that you love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Well, we'll talk some about how Christ's grace uh, and the cross can affect us as we come to the table. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we bless you for your call to be like you. Lord Jesus, you who have loved us so well, you, have bec- you who have become everything that you needed to be to meet our need, Oh, Lord, how we are to do the same for our wives, to be everything we need to be for them, to adjust and change ourselves, to learn, to grow, if by small steps, to become everything that they need for us to love them as Christ has loved us. Lord, we thank you for the sweet forgiveness that we have through the cross of Christ and the mighty change which he brings about through his death and resurrection, that you save us in this vital area as you save us in every part of our lives. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we may worship you aright. Bless us, Lord, that we may love you consistently as we love our own families, our own wives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Just a few things. Uh, We serve wine. If you would not like wine, you can... Point your finger like this toward the center of the uh, plate and we'll serve uh, grape juice to you. Um, And there will be containers on the side to put your cups. We'll come forward. Uh, The uh, uh, ushers will help you come forward and just uh, you may in fact kind of do it as you you see uh, the time is there for you to come. A few words. Uh, This table is one of course, for sinners. So we invite anyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and you're a professing uh, member of a church that preaches the gospel, we invite you to join with us uh, as fellow sinners to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as it is set before us in the body and uh, in, in the bread and the wine. And I want to recall to you j- just 
briefly the context for First uh, Peter three, uh, the, at least the immediate context in the latter part of chapter uh, two, where uh, Peter says he bore our sins in his body on the cross, and certainly that includes all of our sins, as many as they are, against our wives. He has borne those sins in his body on the cross. And we bear them no more in terms of condemnation. We can hear from him because of the precious work of Christ. You, Darwin, even though you fail so miserably and been such a flimsy husband so much of the time, there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But... The other precious part of that passage is that it doesn't point specifically at forgiveness, does it? It says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. And of course, morally healed because you've died to sin and lived to righteousness through his death and resurrection. This means that we can take stock of our lives and take stock of our failures as husbands and say, Oh, Lord God, by your grace, you died so that I could die to those things, that I do not have to live that way. I do not have to continue in the patterns I've had up to this point as a husband. I do not have to do that because through your death, I've died to sin and I live to a new righteousness. And that righteousness, of course, is the righteousness of love, the fulfillment of the law, which is to love her uh, as God has loved you, as Christ has loved you. So you come and confess and trust him, O Lord, by your wounds, I am healed. By your wounds, I am being healed because you are the one who has come after me, though I was straying like a sheep. And now I'm under the one who is the great shepherd of my soul. And he will shepherd you to be a true representative of Christ in your home. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, as we come to this uh, table, we come, Lord, to refresh ourselves in the forgiveness that is purchased for us through Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his body on the cross. Lord, we come to receive from you the benefit of this cross, that we die to sin and live to righteousness, that we can be ever-changing and transforming as husbands for our wives. Lord, we come to one who was to us a servant, who laid down his life. And so in the very taking of these elements, we are saying, I embrace that death. I walk in the train of that death. I will die for my wife. I will put to death all that is opposed to you, Lord God. Lord, in every way, may we come and receive all of the rich benefits that come to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus, that you're here among us to give of yourself freely and powerfully so that we may be transformed by your grace. It is in the name of that Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. And as well...
he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many. Take it, drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And I recall to you what he promises in that new covenant, that he would cause us to walk in his ways. He will cause us to walk in his ways. Come and trust him to do that in this powerful, glorious new covenant that is sealed by the very blood of Jesus. So the elders come forward. pleasing is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?